Book Two, Chapter Two of St. Francis of Assisi, a Biography by Johannes Jorensen, translated by Thomas O'Connor Sloan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two, Francis the Evangelist, Chapter Two, The Foundations of the Order. Francis found himself one day in Bishop Guido's private room as was customary with him he had gone to the man he regarded as the father of souls to get advice perhaps also to pray for alms it was a period of hard times for the brotherhood after the return from the mission journeys four new brothers had joined the ranks philip lang john of san costanzo barbarus and bernard of vigilanzio francis himself had brought a fifth new brother with him from rieti angelo tancredi a young knight whom francis had met in the streets of rieti and whom he had won by suddenly calling out to him long enough hast thou borne the belt the sword and the spurs the time had now come for you to change the belt for a rope the sword for the cross of jesus christ the spurs for the dust and dirt of the road follow me and i will make you a knight in the army of christ thus it was that there were no longer so few men to have food daily in the beginning the people of assisi had been seized with a kind of wonder and the brothers had got considerable alms as they went from door to door now people began to grow weary of them now the relatives of the brothers were ready to persecute them you have given away what you had and now you come and want to eat up other people's things as their number increased they went from the hut at portiuncula to a tumble-down outhouse or shed some twenty miles distant in a place which because of its vicinity to a bend in a little stream was called rivo torto crooked stream here the crucigers from san salvatore della pareti owned a few small buildings and as one of the newly accepted franciscans had been a member of this order it is reasonable to suppose that francis by his intercession had obtained the right to use this new abode this shed or tigergium at rivo Terto, was so small that francis had to write on the beams the names of each brother over his place so as to avoid all disorder or confusion there was no church or chapel there the brothers prayed before a large wooden cross which was erected in front of the shed francis for his part had nothing against so great poverty he really liked rivo torto because by following the course of the river he could easily reach some caves on monte subasio where it was good to pray in which francis because of their narrowness called his prisons carceri all this excited much talk in assisi as was to be expected and the bishop showed good judgment he tried by gentleness to draw francis away from the ideas which to the prelate of the church seemed extravagant little was the amount which the brothers permitted themselves to own 
but he only allowed himself so much as was needed to ensure his daily bread to the bishop as to all men living an ordinary life the begging was particularly repulsive but francis was immovable in this point just as tolstoy has clearly seen it in the nineteenth century so he saw what a hindrance is removed from the way when money and possessions are given up lord bishop he therefore replied if we had possessions we should have to have weapons with which to defend them for from property comes strife with our neighbors and relatives so that charity to god and to men suffers many a scar and in order to preserve it whole and unimpaired it is our firm determination to own nothing in this world the bishop who himself was not clear property disputes for he was involved in a suit with both the crucigers and with the benedictines on monte Sabasio, bowed his head and was silent even if he could not mount to the height of such an ideal he did not dare to hinder or restrain them in carrying it out moreover begging was not the only or even principal resource of the brothers francis himself says in his testament about these early times and after the lord had given me brothers no one showed me what i was to do but the highest revealed to me that i was to live after the holy gospel and they who came to me and accepted this way of life gave all they possessed to the poor and were satisfied with a tunic patched both inside and outside if they wished it and a rope and breeches and we wanted nothing more we said the office those of us who were clerks like other clerks but the lay people said the our father and we liked to be in the churches and we were simple idiote and subject to all men and i worked with my hands and moreover wanted to work and i desired that all the other brothers should be occupied with honorable work and those who could do no work must learn it not for the desire of remuneration but to give good example and not to be lazy and if they will not give us pay for our work we must have recourse to the table which the lord has spread as we go from door to door and beg for alms we have in these few words from francis's own hand the entire program of the life they led at portiuncula and in the shed at rivo torto what francis desired was what jesus of nazareth desired that men should own as little as possible that they should work with their hands for their food and ask others for help when work failed them that they should not give themselves unnecessary troubles and lay up superfluous possessions that they should keep themselves free as birds and not let themselves be caught in the snares of the world that they should go through life with thanks to god for his gifts and with songs of praise for the beauty of his works like strangers and like pilgrims these words of an apostle return over and over again to the mouth of francis when he wants to express his ideal he wished says one of his biographers that all things should sing pilgrimage and exile 
the following bylaws and admonitions in the first rule which francis wrote for the brothers are in accord with this no brother who works or serves in another's house can be treasurer or secretary or have any authoritative position but they must be lowly sine minoris and subject to all in the house and the brothers who can do one kind of work should work and practice the art they have learnt if it does not interfere with their soul's salvation or is not dishonourable for the apostle says if any man will not work neither let him eat and let every man abide in the same calling in which he was called and they can receive for their work whatever is necessary but not money and they that be needed they must go out begging like the other brothers and they have permission to own tools and utensils which they need the lord teaches us in the gospel watch ye that your hearts be not troubled with avarice and with care for your nourishment therefore none of the brothers wherever he may go and wherever he may be may receive in any way or permit money to be received either for clothing or for books or as wages for work or for any other reason except when a brother is sick and calls for help for we ought not to care for or to look on money as of more worth than a stone let us therefore beware lest we who have abandoned all shall lose heaven for so small a thing and if we find money anywhere let us not then be more concerned about it than if it was dust that we tread in yet the brothers if the lepers are in need can collect money for them but must be greatly on their guard against money all brothers must try to follow our lord jesus christ's humility and poverty and remember the apostle's words that when we have food and clothes we should be content with them and the brothers should rejoice when they are among humble and despised people among poor and weaklings sick and lepers and beggars on the road and if it is necessary they may go and beg for alms and they should not be ashamed but remember that our lord jesus christ the son of the living almighty god made his face as hard as stone and was not ashamed and he was poor and a stranger and lived on alms both he and the blessed virgin and his disciples and when men cause shame to the brothers and will not give them alms then they shall thank god therefore and they shall know that the shame is not counted against them who suffer it but against them who inflict it for alms are an inheritance and a piece of justice which is due to the poor and which our lord jesus christ has levied upon us with these and similar words francis has certainly often enough inspired his friends to persevere in the severe life of poverty soon they were giving their services in the hospitals soon helping the peasants with the harvest in the fields and never was their recompense other than their daily bread and a drink of water with it from the spring it also happened that there was no work to be had and in assisi as we have said all doors were closed in the faces of the brothers then it was that hope could hardly be sustained 
and it may well be believed that discontent and despair were sometimes on the point of overcoming the poor penitents from assisi in their shed at rivotorto on dark and rainy days when the water drove in through the leaky roof of the building and the earth was black and miry and cold for the bare feet to tread upon and they sat there in their coarse ragged gowns seven or eight in number and had got nothing to eat all day and did not know if the brothers who had gone out to beg would bring anything home and there was no fire to warm them and no books to read in those days of rain in those dark cold hours during the short but raw and uncomfortable winter of umbria did it not perforce occur to one or another of them that it was all foolishness and that the best thing to do was to turn the back on the dark hole and its crazy inhabitants to go back to the city to the city where one had alas once owned a house and garden money and goods which foolishly had been cast aside and given to the poor there must surely have been some such moments when more than one of the brothers felt the spirit of penance weaken and yet we hear of only one falling away among the first disciples john of capella all the others held fast and persevered even if they as the legend tells us often had to eat roots instead of bread they persevered and they conquered for the public opinion which had long been opposed to them began to reverse itself little by little the inflexible perseverance of the brothers aroused wonder their pious way of life won approval wayfarers who passed by the shed at rivotorto heard the brothers voices in prayer by night by day they were seen going to the hospital or working elsewhere wherever they could get anything to do in spite of their poverty they always had something to spare for anyone who asked it and if there was nothing else they would give the hood off of their cloak or one of the sleeves they showed no concern about money a man once laid a considerable sum of money on the altar in the chapel in portiuncula but soon after found his mammon lying in a heap of dirt upon the highway especially was it to be seen how they loved each other two of them once while on a journey were attacked by a wandering imbecile who had started to throw a stone at them and they saw the brothers shifting places constantly because each wanted to be upon the side the stone came from so as to protect his companion with his body if it happened that one of the brothers by a thoughtless or hasty word had hurt the feelings of one of the others he allowed himself neither rest nor quiet until he had made peace with his brother and at the behest of the offender the offended one would have to put his foot on the mouth out of which an uncharitable word had issued never was impolite or even superfluous and worldly conversation heard among them and if they passed by women on their way they did not look upon them but fastened their eyes on the dust with their hearts in heaven 
that they did not seek after this world's vanity and nothingness is to be seen on an occasion when otto of brunswick went through the valley of spoleto in september twelve o nine on his way to rome to be crowned emperor by pope innocent the populace gathered from assisi betona spelo isola romana and all the other towns and villages on the mountain and plain to see the gorgeous retinue only the brothers from rivo torto were absent with the exception of one who was sent by francis to go and meet the emperor otto and say to him that the honours of this world are transitory and not to be regarded a saying whose truthfulness was soon to be shown in the very case of the emperor himself meanwhile francis had decided to go to rome in the solitude at rivo torto he had as he tells in his testament with few and simple words written or had written the rules of life which he and the brothers followed in their lives his present desire was to have this rule or form of vitae as he used to call it ratified by the highest authority of the church there was no need of this visit it was the fourth lateran council of twelve fifteen which first made such a ratification a requirement for the founding of a community in the catholic church a custom which was not older than bald was now beginning in virtue of which laymen used to seek permission from the papal throne to participate in preaching hitherto reserved for bishops and parish priests bald had obtained such a permission but with a strict command to be subject to the local churchmen a similar permission had been given in twelve o one to the humilitates and in twelve o seven to durand of huesca and his catholic valdenses francis had reason to hope that innocent would be accessible to his wishes also but francis's devotion to the apostles had drawn him to rome with special power to the grave of the apostles and of their successors the apostles were francis's model all his thoughts went in the direction of the restoration of the apostolic life as he saw it in the gospels it was after the rule of life of the apostles that all property of the brothers should be for the common use it was thus in the apostolic church was an argument to which francis always submitted himself the later legends tell of peter and paul showing themselves to francis in the church of st peter as he was praying and assuring him of the possession of the perfect kingdom of the most holy poverty one day in the summer of twelve ten the little troop of penitents started from rivo torto and took their way to rome little is told us of their journey except that bernard of quintavalle was sometimes their leader instead of francis him they all obeyed as they shortened the way with prayer song and conversation the lord says the legend prepared resting-places for them everywhere and never left them unprovided for on their arrival in rome bishop guido of assisi was the first to whom they presented themselves who at this time perhaps not without previous communication with francis was present in the eternal city the bishop presented the brothers to a friend of his among the cardinals john of st paul and the way to the pope was made easy for them 
Later stories tell us that Francis first tried to reach the Pope by his own efforts but failed. What is historically certain is only this much, that Cardinal John, after the brothers had lived with him a few days, undertook to speak to the Pope about them. The Pope was Innocent III. An injustice is perpetrated if we, like Sabatier, reproach Cardinal John, because he in his capacity of representative of the Curia utilized the time Francis and the brothers stayed with him to investigate their intentions and prospects. The period was actually very critical for the Church, and the greatest foresight was a duty for its pilot. It is with a very poor comprehension of the Middle Ages that anyone speaks of the powerful Church of the Middle Ages, and especially is this idea faulty when the period is that of Innocent III. In fact, the centuries of the Reformation and the Revolutionary days were scarcely more anti-papal or more opposed to the Church than the epoch we speak of, about the year 1200. No one would in our days permit Pius X to be treated as Innocent III was treated more than once. He tells himself how on Holy Thursday, April 8, 1203, on the way from St. Peter's to the Lateran, in spite of the papal crown which he wore upon his head, he was insulted by the Roman people with so offensive a word that he would not repeat it. As early as 1188, the same Roman people had anticipated the French terrorists and abolished the Christian reckoning of time. They had established in its place a new era based on the restoration of the Roman Senate in 1143. Time after time was Innocent chased out of Rome. The tower he and his brother had built for themselves as a secure refuge, and whose imposing remains still bear Innocent's family name, Torre dei Conti, was taken from him by the Romans and was declared communal property. From May to October 1204, the Pope had to be a helpless witness of the devastation of Rome by his enemies of the Capocci party. And in the small remains of power which the Hohenstaufens had left to the See of Peter, the power and authority of Innocent was also small. For to free themselves from the temporal domain of the Pope, men on all sides withdrew from his spiritual supremacy and broke away from the unity of the church in orvieto such an independent faction chose an albigensian for leader and killed the podesta pietro paranzi sent to them by the pope viterbo in the face of the prohibition and threats of the pope had chosen open heretics as consuls interdict and ban were without effect on the rebellious populace Narni, that against the Pope's ban had laid waste the little community of Otricoli situated near it, lived untroubled for five years under excommunication. The Republic of Orvieto, likewise in cold blood, overrode the papal command when their army plundered and burnt the neighboring town of Aquapendente. In Sardinia, the priests, and even the bishops, were so inimical to the Pope that his legate Blasio in the year 1202 literally did not know whence he could procure food there. Eventually, the Ghibelline Pisa took the island from the Pope. Even when Innocent won a victory over his opponents, the fruits of the victory were taken from him. 
thus when conrad of erslingen had gone to narni to make over the imperial castle in assisi to the pope the inhabitants of assisi destroyed the castle before the pope could take it in possession so far from punishing assisi for this violence innocent did not dare to enter the city when he passed near it as he visited perugia and spoleto on his journey of homage through umbria innocent the third's era was thus in full rebellion against the papal authority and this rebellion was just as in later centuries at the one time religious and political we seem to see puritans independents illuminati rosicrucians freemasons shadowed forth in the more or less politically tinted sects with which the time was crowded the church historians reckon whole ranks of sect creators and heresiarchs in this century from the rigorous peter vald and his poor men from lyon to shameless pantheists like david of dinant and ortlieb of strasbourg neomanichees like the albigenses satanists like the familiae amoris which celebrated the black mass even in rome the most dangerous of all these sects were the albigenses in the year twelve hundred they were to be found scattered all over europe from rome to london from the black sea to spain but especially along the lower danube in northern italy and southern france and in places along the rhine they bore different names in different countries on the lower danube bulgari burgi publicans in lombardy paratines gazarines in southern france cathari or albigenses after the city albi in languedoc everywhere they held the same doctrine and this was a reiteration of the dualism of the manichees by way of the bogomili and paulatians of bulgaria they descended directly from the adherents of mani the albigensian theory of the universe rested on the old heathen doctrine of two gods a good one who had created souls a bad one who had created the material world it was therefore essential they taught to hold aloof from all that is material in theory they cast aside marriage family life all that could not be considered purely spiritual the name they themselves adopted cathari or the pure indicates this to preserve this purity the most zealous among them starved themselves to death in practice marriage was not allowed to the great mass of the cathari and often the severe denial broke loose into unbridled sensuality as with the german luciferians the cathari were therefore with their entire philosophy as well as with their practice born enemies of the catholic church the war which the church now took up and which on the part of rome was carried on as long as possible with spiritual weapons was therefore a fight for one of the most valued possessions of christian culture for theological monism the unity of god this was the truth for which the church fought and which it saved by fighting there is a bottomless abyss between the manichees for whom life is impure and unholy and for whom nature is a work of a devil a bad and detestable crime of the life desire and the christian who in matter sees a pure and holy work from the hands of an all-loving creator and only stained by the miserable crimes of little man rome had to decide 
on which side of this abyss francis and his brother stood if their strange asceticism was a product of the pride of the cathari or of evangelic christianity that they came from assisi could well awaken a suspicion for among the communities where the cathari had acquired political power it was precisely this little city which in 1203 had chosen an albigensian for podesta in francis it was to be feared might be found a man of the same character as peter wald whose ideal had also been evangelical poverty the well-known leonese had in 1179 obtained permission from alexander the third to preach in public the conversion of sinners and to live in apostolic poverty already in 1184 lucius the third had placed wald and his followers under the ban as rebels against the functions of the church and as renewers of donatism only a few of the waldensians were preserved as adherents to the unity of the church by the spaniard durand of huesca it took only a short time to convince cardinal john that francis and his friends were neither the one nor the other of these two sectaries that god is one this was the foundation of francis's piety as it is the fundamental doctrine in the theology of the church there is only one god the god of creation and of salvation the god of the cross and the god of holiness the god of love and the god of nature one god as there is one world and one heaven one god glorious thanked and praised by all who moves and has the spirit of life from worm to cherubim through all the ages of eternity francis felt this for he was no manichee to deny life and to hate life but a christian who wanted to live and loved life in its purity in its golden goodness in its deepest innermost sweetness in its highest most divine plenitude it was by these feelings that he was to be distinguished from the souls of pride who haughtily called themselves the pure the perfect the chosen but who in reality had to vibrate between self-torture and degradation francis was no negative soul neither was he a critical soul the only criticism he understood was self-criticism and this distinguished him completely from wald and his tendencies as a modern historian has pertinently said francis appeared as the herald of a holy life wald of the divine command francis preached the love of christ and wald the prohibitions of the lord francis overflowed with the happiness of god's children wald punished the sins of the world francis collected those who loved amendment and let the others quietly go their way wald attacked the ungodliness of the ungodly and irritated the clergy such then was the distinctive peculiarity of francis this it was which separated him from all the contemporaneous reformers even those of them who were best disposed to the church such as a robert of Aubrezel, fell before the temptation of turning their criticism against the priesthood and their failings instead of against the heart of the individual with instinctive certainty francis understood that without the reform of the individual all other reform is meaningless 
and therefore he brought about that general reform of conduct which neither the bulls of excommunication of the pope nor the thunders of the lay preachers had been able to effect here it was shown as so often elsewhere that god was not working by stormy methods cardinal john was not long in coming to a complete understanding of the deep-rooted idiosyncrasy of francis he felt that here he stood before a man unselfish in root and branch he felt that there were no idle promises no false pretenses when francis speaking of his plan simply said god has called us to the help of his holy faith and of the roman church's priests and prelates after the lapse of a few days the cardinal found himself in the presence of innocent and imparted the following information i have found a very perfect man who wishes to live after the precepts of the holy gospel and in all things to adhere to the evangelical perfection and i believe the lord intends by him to renew the faith all over the world the brothers from assisi were then admitted to the pope's presence the pope let francis unfold his program and then answered my dear son this life you and your brothers lead seems too severe to me i certainly do not doubt that you are all in a condition to live it borne up by the first enthusiasm but you should also think of those who come after you and who may not have the same zeal to this francis only answered thus lord pope i depend upon my lord jesus christ he has promised us eternal life and heavenly happiness and will not deny us so trivial a thing as what we need here upon earth to maintain our life with the suspicion of a smile one seems to see it through the words innocent answered what you say my son is perfectly true but the nature of man is frail and seldom holds to one purpose long go then and pray god to reveal to you how far what you want coincides with his will francis and his brothers left the presence of the pope who in the next consistory laid the affair before the cardinals as was to be expected several of the old practically minded ones had great doubts about an order whose principles seemed to exceed the powers of mankind it was no purely contemplative order that francis wished to found to which utter poverty might be supposed to be annexed francis's ideal was indeed the apostolic life and especially the apostolic preaching but how should this last-mentioned task be performed in a life of all kinds of work or one of begging from door to door even the waldenses had had evangelical poverty on their program in reality they had laymen among them whose work took care of the needs of the preachers the humiliati in spirit and life allied to the waldenses originally a brotherhood of lombard cloth-makers worked in common kept what was most necessary for themselves and distributed the rest to the poor the catholic poor founded by the converted german catharist bernard primus came the nearest to francis's ideal they lived by the work of their hands received no money wages but only food and clothes as compensation this did very well as long as prayer and work were the order's only effective obligations 
but francis came precisely to obtain the papal permission to preach and if this preaching could not be based on the work of lay preachers then necessarily they must be supported by a certain amount of study to make this study possible there would be needed no matter in how poor a shape fixed abodes and a cloister life and how is it possible to erect a cloister on the foundation of complete poverty there is scarcely need here to do more than call attention to the fact that the old monastic orders held their members to the obligation of poverty but this was to be taken in a far different sense than that in which francis used the word it stood certainly in the benedictine rules that he who entered the order should give first his goods to the poor and the holy poverty was glorified under this almost franciscan title by bernard of clairvaux but however scornfully this great father talks of silver and gold the white and red varieties of earth that acquire their value from man's wickedness yet the existence of the cistercian convents as well as that of the benedictine abbeys depended on large estates of land the single monk owned nothing except what the abbot gave him but his vow of poverty was not affected if the cloister was richly endowed even a certain degree of possession seemed necessary for the inmates of the cloister to be free to devote themselves to spiritual works and not be troubled about their daily bread on this head francis had an entirely different conception what peter and paul had been able to accomplish to announce the gospel to the world while they at the same time supported themselves by the work of their hands or by the gifts of the charitable should still be possible the apostles had not sat quietly within the doors of a convent and francis did not want to be behind them in this respect in the college of cardinals this wish of francis aroused the liveliest opposition all objections were met by john of colonna's simple enunciation these men only want us to allow them to live after the gospel if we now declare that this is impossible then we declare that the gospel cannot be followed and thus insult christ who is the origin of the gospel these words had their effect and francis was again invited to the lateran in the night preceding this new meeting the pope is said to have had a curious dream it seemed to him that he stood in the lateran palace in the place that is called speculum because there is a wide prospect therefrom and one looks out over the lateran church dedicated to john the baptist and john the evangelist the head and mother of all churches and then he saw with fear that the proud building shook the tower swung and the walls began to crack soon must the old basilica of constantine be a heap of ruins paralyzed with fright with powerless hands the pope stood in his palace and looked on wanting to cry out but could not and what good would that have done wished to fold his hands in prayer but could not and even that might have been useless then a man came over the ladder in piazza a small common-looking man dressed in peasant garb barefoot and with a rope around his waist instead of a belt and the poor little man looking neither to right nor left went right across to the falling church 
now he stood by one of the walls that leaned over him as if ready to fall and crush him in the next minute wonderful to see it seemed as if the little man suddenly became as tall as the wall he stood by see now he sets his shoulder in under the cornice of the wall and with a mighty push straightens the whole falling church so that it again stands up in perfect condition involuntarily the pope emitted a deep sigh of relief and loss of tension as if the little man had only waited for this he turned himself about with face directed towards the lateran and innocent saw that he who so wonderfully had rescued the head and mother of all churches was no other than the little poor brother francis from assisi when francis the day after stepped before the pope it was with a well-prepared tale lord pope said he i will tell you a story once there lived in a desolate place an extremely beautiful but very poor woman she saw the king of the country and she found favor in his eyes and he asked her to marry him hoping to have borne to him beautiful children but when they were married a long enough time the woman had borne many sons and she began to meditate within herself and said what shall i a poor woman do with all the children i have i have no inheritance from which they can live then she said to the sons fear not for you are the sons of a king go then to the court and he will give you all you want but as they came to the king he wondered at their beauty and saw that they resembled him and he said to them whose sons are you but they answered that they were sons of the poor woman in the desolate place then the king embraced them with great joy and said to them fear not for you are my sons if i feed so many at my table how much more should i feed you who are my lawful sons and he sent a messenger to the woman in the wilderness that she should send him all her children to the court so that he could support them after having ended this parable francis continued lord pope i am the poor woman in the wilderness god has in his mercy looked upon me and i have borne him sons in christ and the king of kings has said to me that he will take care of all my offspring for if he gives the stranger food much more should he give it to the children of his house god gives worldly goods to sinners on account of the love they have for their children how profusely will he not pour all his gifts upon those who follow his gospel and to whom therefore he owes that much thus francis spoke and innocent understood that it was not the world's wisdom but the spirit and power of god he broke out turning to the cardinals who sat there truly this is the pious and holy man by whom the church of god shall be restored and he arose embraced francis blessed him and the brothers and said to them go with god brothers and announce salvation for all as the lord reveals it to you and when the almighty has multiplied your numbers then come back to me and you will find me willing to give you further concessions and to charge you with a greater inheritance all the brothers knelt before the pope 
and promised him obedience as their superior permission to preach was also given to francis and only through him to the others as a conclusion to the audience the brothers finally received the clerky tonsure which was given them by cardinal john and which was the outer sign of the permission to preach the word after a visit to the graves of the apostles in st peter's and st paul francis and the brothers left rome their way led them out over the roman campagna and past soracte's white summits they hastened quickly from the place eager to be back in their accustomed surroundings once more to pursue the life and do the things for which they had so fortunately obtained the church's permission from the mouth of the vicar of christ end of book two chapter two